Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hey folks, welcome into Aunt Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney, reveling in the return of baseball in the Cubs' dominance over the Pirates, two games out of three. And uh, it is nice, you know, I I, I won't go too uh, sarcastic at the open because it is nice for baseball to be back. I mean, we've been doing the spring training thing, obviously, recording this podcast, but I wasn't sure how I would... Uh, in fact, heck, we talked about it in the last podcast, how it was sort of like, um, you know, opening day again, but last year didn't quite have that feel for a lot of reasons. And so, I don't know, I didn't know how I'd react, but I got to tell you, despite the Cubs um, playing a, quote, crappy game, uh, according to David Ross, uh, for the opener, um, I still really enjoyed having baseball back in my life, baseball that I cared about, baseball that was... Uh, deeply frustrating to me on Thursday. It was nice to be like, this sucks. Okay, but it's good that it sucks. Uh, so, you know, from your guys' perspective, back to the the beat thing, nice to be back at it. Uh, how, you know, how were you feeling? Well, I mean, Thursday was just terrible baseball. I mean, let's get that out of the way, first of all. There's no way you can convince me that that was entertaining to anyone, even if your team wins. There's, it just, it's, it reminded me, I think there was a Cardinals game that the Cubs won last year, like in the 2020 shortened season, that, uh, that was equally just painful to watch. They walks and strikeouts and the occasional run being scored is just not entertaining. So that, that was awful. And, but I did actually, it, it, uh, it just gave me a chuckle because it was so bad that I was able to just like mock it on Twitter. And that's, and that's fun mocking stuff and just having fun with it on Twitter like that. Uh, but yes, no, it's, it's great to actually, I mean, this weekend was beautiful. This weekend is what it's all about, right? This Saturday, Sunday, perfect days at Wrigley, really, uh, especially when in Chicago, when you don't get that much sun at this point of the year and and the sun's out and people are actually at the park and the Cubs are playing decent ball. Like that was, that was fun to watch. That was fun to watch. That was fun to be, be there for. So uh, certainly this weekend reminded me what baseball in Chicago can be. And it just made me even more uh, excited for whenever, whatever happens the rest of this summer, as far as opening up the ballpark and uh, really, you know, full full Wrigley field and, and hopefully the Cubs playing decent baseball. Yeah. I think Jake Arrieta said, you know, it felt like a lot more than 10,000. And while the neighborhood wasn't, you know, on full blast, it's, there were certainly signs of life that were just nice to see that there was some energy around the park. It wasn't like last year when you, you could walk for blocks and like, not bump into anyone and not see anyone. And, you know, post game, uh, there were definitely 
people out. You know, the restaurants uh, around Gallagher Gallagher Way. Um, there are good crowds there. No, no, I like Gallagher. Like, I mean, I know it's like a corporate name, so you can't say it wrong, but I like that. Gallagher. Is that how did I pronounce it wrong? <laughs> oh, did you not even notice? The, you you corrected yourself, so I thought you heard. Yeah, you you said uh, at Gallagher. I was honestly embarrassed that I was calling it Gallagher Way. Like, that was my that was probably why I, like, stuttered there. It got stuck in your head. Like, yeah. some sort of Cubs corporate branding has lodged into my brain, and I am, this is now recorded for eternity and my eternal embarrassment. Of calling Wrigleyville Gallagher Way or whatever I said, but Gallagher. Yeah, I'm gonna next time I see you, like I'm gonna monster. walk up and be like Gallagher. <laughs> like it, that's like your that's like your mutant name, Gallagher. Yeah. Like these here. these plundering Vikings going to the organic fruit market or whatever they put up there, or their like kitty yoga sessions that they got going on. Gallagher is back. Let's you know? see your downward dog, Gallagher. <laughs> Uh, look, I, so I did want to say I, before I, you know, before we get too, uh, sidetracked in the hilarious revelries of Mooney's missteps, I did want to make sure to, um, note that about the opener and about how you were saying Sahadev, how it was miserable baseball. I thought it was funny that I think it was Ross who said after the game that, uh, the Cubs lost the time of possession in that one. Oh, and did he say that? It, how... <laughs> how perfectly descriptive of that game. Like it's rare that you could ever say that about a baseball game and people would know exactly what you meant and why that was a bad thing. And my God, it was torturous. Just like it had to be awful for the Cubs, uh, you know, defenders being out there and just like standing around in that cold and that wind and like nothing's happening. The pitchers are just, you know, oh God, that was awful. Hey, let me set you up for like a little content discussion, actually, Sadiq, because you noted you noted this. We're gonna get real specific. We're gonna go from like general to real specific. But in that game, one of those painful appearances was Brandon Workman. It was his his debut for the Cubs, um, and he was just getting, you know, he he the command wasn't there in general. But even more specific to that, you know, kind of seemed like he was getting good bite on his signature curveball, but no offerings whatsoever. The Pirates were just completely spitting on the thing, except for one that I think he left up and that was poked for a, a pretty solid single. Um, you noted that right after the game, and then. My God, did he look night and day different in his second appearance? Yeah, I mean, it, well, it's what we've been talking about with him since they got him, right? Can they fix the curveball? Can he get the curveball right? Uh, what what exactly was wrong with it? It sounds like he wasn't getting on top of it. I honestly didn't. It was a little weird on Thursday, right? It didn't look like the shape was terrible for the curveball. So I was wondering, I was like, is he is he showing it? Can he are they are they picking it up right out of the hand? What's going on? Is it a lack of uh like was a were they just sitting on the fastball? What was going on there? I was trying to figure out and uh it, you know, I think it uh, like Ross put it pretty plainly that the difference between Thursday and Saturday was he was getting the curveball over for strikes. And and I guess that's I mean, that is true. The first game he was they were just below the zone. Those are, I would say, well, he was even that first appearance. He was you could tell he was I mean, I don't want to read into it, but he was like shaking his own head at yeah. himself as he was he'd receive the ball and walk back because I think he just didn't know where his pitches were going. Yeah. And those. 
the ones that he was throwing probably would have been effective in like a one-two count, right? Like someone chases and swings over them. So yeah, you got to drop a few for a strike. And he looked absolutely nasty. I mean, the the bullpen in general, Saturday and Sunday, is definitely definitely looked like a strength. And and you know we can overreact to that if we want or or ignore it. I think either works, <laughs> right? Right now through three games, we could we could pretend none of it's happening or just like act like it's all a huge sign for. Uh, things to come uh, but yeah no that that's that's one of those things where you wonder how much does the weather really factor in right uh, Ross kind of brought up how all of his relievers their breaking balls just didn't look right on on Thursday so uh, that that makes me even more uh, uh, I guess anticipatory to see Jason Adam uh, out there again because he's someone whose breaking ball I think can make him an elite uh, reliever so I'd like to see him out there again, but yeah, Brandon Workman, that completely different pitcher for one game to the next. That curveball is going to be a difference maker for him if he can throw it like Saturday. Now you have a real legit, experienced setup man for Craig Kimbrell, and I mean, we saw what Kimbrell was, and and I, I I have to say it's it does feel a little like it does feel like okay, see this is what we're talking about, people, when we talk about. There's a ramp up in spring training. Don't freak out. This guy's a veteran. What happened in September wasn't an illusion. These aren't things we just ignore. We need to take everything into context when talking about someone like Craig Kimbrell. I know it's very easy to dismiss. I get it. I saw 2019 too. I saw the beginning of of 2020 i remember it it was very ugly and i get that cubs fans are probably scarred especially by 2019 kimbrell i 100 percent get it but that doesn't mean we need to ignore exactly what he's been in the past and what he was in pretty much all of august and september and all of september last year i mean it wasn't okay i i need to we i know we've said this a hundred times but it wasn't just good it was utter dominance, and that's what we've seen early on. And I don't even think he's at his best. I don't. I think he's got more more there. Uh, he's going to go through a rough patch. He's going to suck at some point, I'm sure, and and all the naysayers will come out. But uh, right now, this looks like a pretty damn elite closer. Sada, if you know the immutable laws of beat writing means that <laughs> – Today, Ross, during his pregame Zoom, is going to get like 12 questions about how great the bullpen is, how great it's coming together, the Cubs are getting out to an early lead, and then they're just going to blow it against the Brewers in the late inning. I just know this is what's going to happen because everyone's going to be happy talking the bullpen. And yeah, I mean, Craig Kimbrell looked awesome. I just think I get why people are frustrated because the Cubs paid, you know, top shelf prices for this guy. He's been, you know, as decorated as anyone in the game in terms of a, a bullpen guy and for that price for that commitment the circumstances in which that deal came together like it shouldn't be this like you know kind of daily question mark like it should just be like locked in and like you know what you're gonna get and I think that was something going the way back machine of like Brandon Morrow yes he was hurt all the time but for that stretch like you just knew what you were going to get. And like, that's, you know, kind of what has been missing with Kimbrell. I mean, we'll see. I mean, a lot of those, you know, outings that felt like last year were them kind of like working his way back. And I mean, I think you can't, I mean, you had wrote it so hot. like, you can't overestimate like how demoralizing those like early season 
blown saves are to a team where you feel like you play great baseball for eight innings and then that guy in like three minutes just uh, ruins it. And for a team with, um, you know, not a lot of runway here uh, in terms of getting off to a good start, uh, not a lot of margin for error built into this team, a front office that is not going to hesitate to blow it up at the trade deadline. Like they need Craig Kimbrell to be good, like from the jump. And he's been that. Yeah, I think, you know, what sticks so much for Cubs fans with Kimberlin, and <clears throat> we all experience this so much in our job duties when we try to, like Todd have said, you know, we're like, no, he was, he was really good in September. We swear, I, it was, I was he was great results and great actual performance. And I think that what sticks for Cubs fans is that when he was bad, there's a difference between a guy who you can see is executing what he's supposed to be executing and he just gets beat. Um and and that wasn't what it was in 19 and early 2020 for him. It was a guy who was clearly not right. And so that, I think, sticks a lot more um, with fans, especially when he was supposed to be this guy who comes in, like Mooney said, and it's like, you know what he's going to look like. You know what he's going to do. And yeah, sometimes he'll get beat. Sometimes someone will hit a dong off him and whatever. You can't do anything about that. Um, and he just, he didn't look like that from the jump. And so people kind of made up their minds. And um, I hope, that not only is what he's shown through these two appearances an indicator of what's to come for him, but I also hope that Cubs fans are going to maybe hold on to that same kind of recency bias this year and say, ah, well, he's fixed this year. So that when inevitably he gets beat in a game, you know, because that will happen, uh, people don't immediately assume, oh, well, he's broken again because, boy, I mean, I'll do the nuance thing, but it's just so painful to be like, well, actually, in this case, he did execute very well, but you can see, so you can see he was putting it where he wanted, good velocity, good spin, but, you know, sometimes the batter just wins, or or worse, God forbid, it's some lucky blooper stuff, and you've got to be like, actually, he pitched well, got a good result, it just happened to fall in, because baseball is like that sometimes. Um, so... You know, not to get uh, too forward-looking, but it's interesting as we talk about the Cubs bullpen and how it could be, um, you know, a significant bright spot for them. And inevitably, we'll start hyping it up, and then it'll be a disaster. And um, I remember back to last year, didn't they have? Wasn't it like for two the first two weeks they had like it was them and the Reds like the worst bullpen by results in baseball? They did right, and it was yeah. and it was not even close. It was like the two of them. And then the other teams were a million miles away. Maybe it was, it was like a nine ERA at one. Point. Yeah, it was I, like absurd. I think after like I think it was like two weeks. Yeah, it was. It was. And then they ugly. were they were great from there. Like I think they were know, the best bullpen ERA wise or top three bullpen ERA wise in September. I, I mean, yeah, uh, that sounds about right because because Kimbrel in particular, and I was studying this after he got fixed after those first four appearances, he had I think the second best FIP in baseball behind only Devin Williams, which wow. little transition point, which I wanted to note. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, the Brewers bullpen because man, he and Hader through again, it's only three games, whatever, but like, God, they just look especially ridiculous. Even for them, Hader throwing a hundred miles an hour. Now, what, where the hell yeah, did that come from? Just all of a sudden throwing triple digits. Okay. So anyway, that'll be, that'll be the Cubs this week uh, against the Brewers. Uh, they will miss Corbin Burns, I believe, though, who I don't know if folks saw the dueling no hitter that he had going and just obscene stuff. Man, I mean, give him the credit. I, I can see now why um, 
or, or it becomes more reasonable each day for the folks who were like, no, the Brewers are the team that's head and shoulders above the others in the Central. It's not necessarily this morass of teams, but I think that I can actually transition off that successfully to one of the other big things that we wanted to talk about from this weekend, and it's this. Yes, I think as the rosters stand and reasonable projections, you might say that the Brewers are still the favorite in most of the um, systems would say that. I think everyone else would also agree that if the Cubs' very best players click to the best of their ability, actually they have the roster that kind of wipes the floor with all the others. And a big part of that would, for example, be a guy like Chris Bryant. If Chris Bryant plays like MVP-level Chris Bryant, it's just it's one player that fundamentally transforms the entire lineup for the Cubs. And not saying he definitely will. Uh, you know, we, of course, it's one series. We're going to do this thing. But, I mean, he looked very, <laughs> he didn't look just good at the plate. He wasn't just hitting the ball hard. He looked very comfortable at the plate. He looked very confident at the plate. And um, the Pirates, for all their overall crumminess, it's not like they don't have some successful pitchers. Um, and so, I don't know. That was my short take on him is I just thought he looked um very calm, confident, comfortable uh, at the plate, not uh, not just missing those those pitches that, you know, when he's fouling him back. And we I think we talked about that late in spring training where he was getting close because he was just missing um, some really drivable pitches. And so, I don't know. I, I liked what I saw from him, not just the results, which were great, but I, I liked what I saw overall. Yeah, I mean, and I even think I remember at least one at bat where he definitely missed his pitch and fouled it straight back, and you could almost see it in his face that he was like, ooh, that was, I need that one back right there. Uh, and there are times where I was wondering, like, hmm, what's going on with Chris? He, he's not driving the ball just after, you know, because it was a so-so spring training, and, and that first game everybody just looked uh, like the negativity was easy to seep in after that first game. But he's, I mean, there's a few different things that, I that I mean, uh, kind of stand out, right? With him, he's taking his walks. I, I, I think I forgot how few walks he took last year. Uh, I know it's a short season and, and he was injured for part of it, but I think the number was 12, and that's just weird to see with Chris Bryant. Uh, this guy's a pretty elite walk taker. Uh, and <laughs> to see such a low number is a bit jarring. Um, and and to see that he already has three, he's laying off pitches away, the breaking ball away. He just, you're right, it's, it's a comfort level thing with him at the plate right now. He's hitting the ball hard. I, I noted in the piece I wrote uh, for this morning that I think it's four balls that he hit uh, 99 miles per hour or harder already through three games. And I think he had 16 all of last year. Uh, he's not some elite exit velo guy, but hitting the ball hard is great. I mean, that's that's a good thing. Uh, and he, I think he hit like that, that single was a rocket the other way. He just doesn't hit very many balls to the opposite field anymore. And that was a well-struck line drive that drove in a run. And can, can I get micro on that for just a second? Can I, cause I'm curious your guys thoughts. Like, I don't know how much you like re-looked at that particular hit. Uh, and if you don't have any thoughts, that's fine, but we can pay attention to this going forward. Like, because we just talked about this in the last pod. Remember the question that we got? 
from a reader was about, you know, why isn't he going the other way more? And we talked about the evolution of his game and the way he can best take advantage of his particular swing. And it's just always going to be a very pull oriented swing. Well, that pitch, it's not like it was some down and away two strike pitch that he was just sort of diving at to poke at. It was middle down. And it was a pitch that like normally, I mean, you just would never see him just driving that with authority on a line drive signal the other way. Fluky thing, maybe. Yeah, maybe. But I don't know. It got me, it just sort of my antenna went up because it was like not a pitch that I would have expected him to do that with. And Especially because we had just talked about that in the last podcast. And it was 3-1, right? I think it was a 3-1 count. So I think you're it was a very attack-oriented, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so you're sitting fastball, and in his, normally the way Chris is, you'd get be out in front with that pitch, and, and Ross was very complimentary about how he kind of sat on that pitch and, and like, let it get deep in the zone and then ripped it the other way, which is which is more of a Jason Hayward attribute than a, than a Chris Bryant attribute, right? Like, when Hayward's in sync and really locked in, he the ball travels deep in the zone, and, and his swing is really... Uh, is really built for that type of action where the fastball is deep in the zone and he rips it the other way. Uh, Bryant just it doesn't do that as much. I, I don't know what I don't have a good answer for you there, uh, Brett. And you know if we if we ever get time to talk to him one on one, maybe if this continues, we can talk to him about it. But uh, it's a uh, yeah. It, overall, I'm just it. It's interesting to see. I, you know, that that was a great one. Just seeing him pull a double hard down the line. Obviously, the home run on Saturday. These are just little things. It's it's really three games. Don't want to overreact. But Chris Bryant's healthy, and we know what he can do when he's healthy. Uh, hopefully, he stays that way, and he can put up big numbers. Because, like you just said, Brett, I mean, we know what this team can be. We know the talent. I shouldn't say we know what this team can be. We know the talent that's on this team. And we've talked about it for years, how frustrating it is uh, to, to watch it kind of not live up to the potential that we maybe thought they had. And, uh, you know, just to see a couple guys, at least, especially Bright, just to see him start off well uh, is nice. It, uh, is a nice way to kick off the season. Yeah, I mean, I would say, too, like in my limited interactions with Chris during spring training, but while limited, they still were not over Zoom. And I don't know, I just got the sense that he's in a really good place right now. I mean, he's, you know, pointing to his young son, Kyler, uh, who's about to turn one after hitting a home run. I think getting like, you know, some family back in the stands. You know, Chris himself is 29 years old, like that peak age to where he should be having his best seasons. He kind of did it in reverse, you know, being an MVP in his early twenties. I mean, he's someone who's been, you know, the kind of the top of his class, you know, every single level he's been through in his baseball career. And, you know, while the trade rumors, you know, kind of shadowed him for a while, it's not like, I certainly don't think he got his hopes up for an extension the way that Anthony Rizzo did. I think he, it's kind of just been while team Boris and team Jed uh, have communicated. Certainly uh, I don't think there was any like realistic sense that he was going to get like a big deal before opening day. And I think he's someone who just kind of knows the score. He knows the situation. Uh, I think like you guys are saying, as long as he's healthy and that's 
something that really the burden is on him to prove that he can stay healthy for 162, um, even if those were kind of freak accidents over the last couple of seasons. But yeah, I don't, I don't know if he's the separator that decides the National League Central, but I don't think it's unreasonable to think that he's going to be an all-star again, maybe gets some MVP votes. And, you know, at that point, it's just a question, will he be wearing a Cubs uniform in the second half of the season or not? Okay, I want to turn to a couple emails that we got, uh, both uh, mostly Javi Baez related, so I figure that'll be a good, uh, I can sort of lump them together and we can talk a little bit about Javi as we wrap the pod. Uh, a reminder, if you ever want to send us an email uh, and get some shouts or get a question in or get a criticism in for Sahadev, uh, our podcast email is wavelandathletic at gmail.com. Uh, no, we didn't. We, no, no criticisms here for Sahadev. Although I do anticipate that the next wave of emails will include some Gallagher references uh, for Mooney. So, uh, first up, want to shout out to Phil in the UK. He's in Liverpool, and he wanted to not only get himself a shout, but he 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 wanted to get some shouts for his friends over there. So let me just read a chunk, and then I'll I'll, I'll uh, hit up what his question was. Um, uh, Phil writes, I'm sure you have listeners in much more exotic locations, but I just wondered if you might be able to give a quick shout to all the Cubs fans over here in the UK, please. Perhaps particularly because the team was due to play two games in London against the Cardinals last June, but sadly canceled as a result of the pandemic. I hope that the London series will be back in the future and that the Cubs will be among the teams that come over. Although I've been to major league games when I've been to the US for work, I haven't seen the Cubs play live. I hope that I will be able to make it to Chicago one day. We hope that too, Phil. Give us a shout if you do come over. But uh, Phil's question is essentially about the relationship between the Francisco Lindor extension with the Mets and Javi Baez potential talks with the Cubs. We'll put a pin in that uh, till we get to the next question. And um, I think th- I think there's a, a possible way you talk about that relationship, even as you would recognize, I think that the two players are sort of in different tiers uh, of free agency. Uh, as it relates to the Cubs possibly wanting to extend Javi Baez, talking about Javi Baez or his free agency, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Ryan, who apparently is not from an exotic location. Sorry, I don't mean that to be, you know, to denigrate you, Ryan, but you didn't mention where you were from, so it must not be particularly exciting. So maybe just Ryan from Chicago. Uh, He writes uh, with a question specifically about how, although Javi Baez had uh, the two very successful offensive seasons in 2018 and 2019, he actually had trended uh, considerably downward in that 2019 season uh, before the season, uh, you'll recall, ended a little earlier for him with an injury. That's when Nico came up. Um, And the question is, as uh, pitchers seem to have been uh, going further and further away and then busting him more inside, in Ryan's view. Does that seem right to us? Uh, Does it seem like Javi is not having as much success going the other way? And can he get back to being a plus offensive player? Or are we looking at a guy who's roughly a league average hitter who is an elite shortstop and base runner? Um. Why don't you know what Mooney? Why don't you kick us off on the response? We're not. We're going to break up the usual rotation here, and you can speak to extension talk stuff. You can speak to Lindor comp stuff, not between the players necessarily, but just in terms of market impact on a deal like that, or about um, what we've seen from Javi the last couple of years in terms of uh, offensive development or regression or, or however you want to get into it. 
Well, I think our listeners were very astute in how they framed those questions because I think both sides are looking at some of these ideas and clearly we haven't gotten that much clarity. Otherwise, there would have been, you know, an opening day press conference. And I still think that an extension for Javi uh, is a possibility. It's been a lot more quiet uh, as compared to uh, Anthony Rizzo's situation for, uh, you know, a lot of different reasons. But um, one thing that I wanted to clarify, because I've, I've gotten this question elsewhere of like, if you're investing in Javi Baez, like people have seen some of his quotes at some of these beginning of spring training things about, you know, as a team, like we weren't locked in for first pitch or oh, I, I kind of drifted away from baseball. And I think it's important to note that in those settings, he's getting a lot of different questions from a lot of different directions, uh, particularly when it's off Zoom, it's kind of hard or these bigger scrums. And I think you have to go back to the same way in spring training when everyone is like way over the top positive, you kind of have to kind of look underneath and go back to, uh, you know, some of the, the numbers or the context. And when Javi is that hard on himself, when he was drifting away from baseball, he was finished second in the national league MVP voting. So I think some of that stuff he, he says, and there's kernels of truth in it. I don't think it's really borne out, uh, in his performance, uh, but the, you know, we don't really know, is he an annual MVP type candidate to see that like mini Manny Ramirez that people had kind of compared him to when he was coming up? Probably not, but I think he is more than just a league average hitter. And while he's not going to necessarily go to the Cubs and say, I need a, a three in front of it, the way that Francisco Lindor did in his contract talks, I think it's going to be a lot higher than, than than people think, and I think he's kind of earned that right to play it out here. And um, I think in the end, Javi knows he has it great here. Uh, he loves the energy of Chicago, and <clears throat> the Cubs realize he's a, a special player. Like, you can't just find another Javier Baez. Um, and I do think he's someone that will probably age pretty well just because he can – move off of shortstop he's proven that before and that he does you know love the game and pay attention to the details in a way that I think could make him a really you know valuable interesting player on the back half uh of one of those mega deals yeah uh <laughs> sorry, sorry I, I, just, I was rambling there I don't know what was going on he was Mooney no Mooney was no, still no. in space because he could see no, this hot it was like move were, were you were you participating in a move there for a bit were you did i you was, have some uh, furniture I, you needed to relocate? i realized that my computer was dying a lot quicker than i anticipated so i had to go get the the charger from from the other room and uh i i appreciated uh mooney uh mooney's extended diatribe there saving me some time uh I mean, I, I think he hit most of the points on the extension stuff. As far as Javi as a player, I, I think it's important to point out that I believe 2019 was the heel injury some point in May or June. May, maybe? Yeah. Uh, uh, let me let me ampli- amplify because that's what I was going to note, too, is that he had the heel injury. I'll, I'll never forget. It was because it, it was the day of the Game of Thrones finale. 
uh, of either that season or the, or the whole thing. They were playing the Nationals, and so it was a it was a Sunday, and I remember I was watching with some friends, and it seemed like nothing because he stayed in the game, and all he had done was sort of landed on his foot, but a spike got caught and then you know hit the the back of his his heel. Um, and you're right, he was from that moment on his numbers were pretty disappointing the rest of the way um, following the 2018 breakout. Um. Yeah, I, I kind of lost you there for a second, Brett. But my what what I was gonna say is that he, I think he kind of played through that because the Cubs were really shorthanded in the middle infield at that point in time. That is like basically what I just said, Sahadi. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, that I think that uh, impacted him uh, the rest of that season, and then he he just kind of forced his way. Uh, you know, for the betterment of the team. And he was still playing great defense, right? So you, you need him there. It's not like this is a team that has, you know, not many teams have a bunch of shortstops that they can just plug in for Javi Baez. So, I mean, he was doing what was best for the team. And then obviously the broken thumb to end the season. Uh, I, I don't know when, when you talk about can Javi Baez get back to what he was then? Yeah, I think so. Does he need to? I think uh, the writer of that email uh, mentioned going to the opposite field. Yes, that's what he needs to start doing again. I don't know exactly. I need to look at this a little bit more. I kind of dismissed his 2020 season, but uh, just in general, I didn't look take too deep a dive into it. I think he was really out of it in multiple fronts uh, with regards to the 2020 season. Just I, I don't think his head was in the right space uh, to, to produce like he needed to. Uh, so so it's hard to really break down what was going on. Uh, I do. I did notice that he was further away from the plate last year. I need to take a second look and see if he's still uh, kind of backed away from the plate. That That's going to make it harder if you're throwing breaking balls away and he's chasing them. Uh, obviously I, I wonder if that was done in, uh, to kind of react to being pounded inside. Uh, we'll see, you know, I, I don't know what he, what he is anymore on offense. It's just really hard to figure out because there are no, even when he was at his best, it didn't make sense. Right. When you look at the numbers and I always said this, I'm just going to ignore the peripherals that we normally gravitate towards with, with hobby, with other players, right. You look at a walk rate you look at you look at the strikeout rate you, you look is he is he getting too lucky with his hits like all of that stuff just it doesn't look right even when Javi's at his best right it's not stuff that you'd say like this is sustainable but that's because Javier Baez is a really unique player and just uh and just you know his success is something that you just kind of have to accept when it happens it's like okay this guy is a kind of a freak talent and, and it's not going to be a ton of walks and there's going to be some ugly swing and miss, but when it's right, it, it's really, it's really special because like, like, uh, like the writer said, uh, you know, at, at, at worst, what is he an average offensive player? I shouldn't say at worst, you know, what, what can we expect from him? If, if it doesn't click and he's a, he's, he's still an elite talent at short, and an average offensive player, right? That that's good. That 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 works. You you want a lot of those players. I mean, you need an elite defensive shortstop who's average on offense. You'll take that. The problem is he's he's part of the heart of your lineup, and and you want him to be an elite. Off, I mean, maybe not elite, but top tier uh, offensive player who who hits a ton of home runs for you and and drives in a ton of runs. And that's that's what he is at his best. And I think 
I think it was nice to see him steal some bases. I think it was nice to see him kind of change a game on uh, in a different way than just uh, hitting the long ball. But yeah, go, start going the opposite way. Start taking, start uh, laying off some of those breaking pitches and and lining some balls into the uh, right center gap. And I think we'll see see the Javi Baez that we know uh, can be he can be at his best. But I. It's hard. It's really hard to break it down and say this is what's wrong with Javi Baez. This is this is what he needs to change because what what you would say he needs to change for a normal player, you don't want to mess with it with him. And we've just got bad data. I mean, like you said, it's just what can we do with the the 2020 data? And then yeah. if you concede the heel injury in 2019, it's kind of like well, he he became really good offensively, and then he got hurt. And had a pandemic year. And that's all we have. So what can you really take away from that? Um, I just want to add too that um, when the Cubs were at their best as a team, 15, 16, 17, Javi was basically a league average hitter. And he was providing all the other stuff that he does. So I don't know. Debatably, maybe the Cubs don't need him to be more than that. For them to be very good if the other pieces are there. Um, as far as comps go with Lindor, I'll wrap it there and just note that although they are certainly going to be considered in different tiers of players, um, certainly price tag wise and desirability and consistency and, and all of these things, I will note this. Uh, Francisco Lindor derives a lot of his elite tier value from his defensive ability. He's an exceptional defender at shortstop. And it did make me wonder, um, to what extent are we going to see, particularly maybe at shortstop where it's just disproportionate value. If you're a truly, truly elite defender at shortstop because of the importance of the position and the ability to impact more plays, maybe you have disproportionate value. I do wonder if there is um, a recalibration that will will go on and, and, and Javi could certainly be a part of that um, because he's a top three defender in the sport now. And so, um, no, I don't think he's going to, get a deal that has a three in the front of it or even necessarily a two in the front of it. But uh, I do think that there is an argument there that you look at the Lindor deal and you say, look how crazy over the top this extension was for a guy whose floor is so much higher because of his exceptional defense. Well, you should think about me in that way too. And so I think that'll be interesting uh, to follow both Javi specifically and market wide. Um, Obviously all against the crazy backdrop of a CBA expiring and pandemic losses and all these things that make it very difficult. And as we've talked about before, why so few extensions were done. Uh, thank you for those emails. Teed us up to some really nice discussions, gave us the opportunity to shout out from all the corners of the world. Uh, so please do, even if again, no, no denigration there. If you're just from Chicago, you can send an email. I mean, we'll still love hearing from you. You don't have to be from some far flung, uh, you know, Gallagher corner of the, the world. See, now it's now it's a mutant name and it's like a country in like a, a corner of the of the earth or, or maybe another planet, actually. Gallagher from the Gallagher system. Uh, so but either way, send us send us that email. We love to hear from you. Wavelandathletic at gmail dot com. And uh, just in general, love, love. Uh, that you guys are listening. Love that folks from all over are listening. We enjoy what we do. We enjoy being back with the season. So make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Tell your friends. And uh, we'll be back at you. So now we're on a regular twice a week schedule, right? So we'll be back on Thursday, Thursday afternoon for you folks, I do believe. And um, yeah, we got you. It's on to Waveland. I'm Brett Taylor. You can read my stuff at bleachernation.com. 
That's Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. Read their stuff at The Athletic. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.